listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for October 3rd, 2021, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. So I'm sure that letter from the Gospel of Mark was exactly why you wanted to come to church this morning. <laughs> Reverend Elizabeth has the church school uh, in the library doing an instructed Eucharist. I'm tempted to say you can go over there and join her. At the one end of our gospel lesson this morning, we have Jesus' hard words about divorce, and on the other, a seemingly beautiful statement about children. I can't hear it. I can't hear these two things side by side without thinking about what I was told about divorce as a child. When I was a child, someone told me, Divorce was the worst thing that could ever happen to a kid. Quite something to say to a kid, right? I have to say, I disagree. I disagree. And not just because I believe that divorce is permissible under certain circumstances. And I do. I disagree because it's not true what this person told me as a child. It's just not true. I was too young to ask this person then, but what I would ask them today, if I could, as a priest, is, who's divorce? Which kids? The passage we just read from St. Mark's Gospel and its twin in St. Matthew's have been used for generations as bludgeons of shame for those who have or who are contemplating getting divorced. Apparently forbidding divorce or rendering it impossible on a spiritual level. On the level of the text, Jesus seems to be saying that once two become one flesh in marriage, the two can get legally divorced but never spiritually divorced. Once they're two, become one, they're always one, forever. And this means that divorced couples who subsequently date or remarry other people are basically cheating on their original spouses forever. That seems to be what Jesus is saying just on the level of the text. But as Reverend Elizabeth, Father Peter, and I discussed in our weekly podcast this past week, which some of you may have had a chance to listen to, Jesus is intervening here in a heated debate in his own time. It's a debate between basically two different rabbinic schools of thought in first century Judaism. One associated with the scholar Shammai and the other with the scholar Hillel. Now Shammai was something of a strict constructionist regarding the Jewish law. He was like the Antonin Scalia of his day and he wanted to keep the interpretation of the law as close to the original text as possible. He didn't want to extrapolate from it too much. And so Shammai said that the law said a man could divorce his wife only in cases of sexual immorality, that is, in cases where she commits adultery against him. Hillel thought the Jewish law was something of a living document as it were, and that it could evolve over time. So he wanted to make the law more general and more applicable. 
And Hillel held that a man could divorce his wife really for any reason at all. Hillel says if she does anything that displeases him, and the famous example from this first century Jewish conversation is that Hillel says a man can divorce his wife if she burns his dinner. Now, if that sounds misogynistic and patriarchal, it's because it is misogynistic and patriarchal, right? This is a patriarchal society. And Jesus would have been familiar, I think, with the incredibly precarious economic and social situation that Hillel's teaching on divorce could put women in. The propensity for Hillel's interpretation to be abused to the end that first century women whose material and social well-being depended on their husband and their relationship to their husband could end up being unjustly impoverished or worse. If a man can divorce his wife just for burning the toast, women are toast. And I think it stands to reason that Jesus knew some of these women. Because there's a crucial twist in our text from Mark. Jesus is tightening up the divorce code, right? He seems to be siding with Shammai over Hillel. He's trying to say that there are very few cases in which a man can actually divorce his wife. But there's a crucial twist here that's easy for us to miss. Perhaps, as Reverend Elizabeth suggested in our podcast, one that he picks up from the Roman rather than the Jewish legal tradition. Jesus concerns himself in this text not just with whoever divorces his wife, but whoever divorces her husband. Did you guys catch that? For Jesus, contrary to the rabbinic schools of the day, women can initiate divorces and not just men. This was an innovation that Jesus was making. No one else in the Jewish debate was doing this. So he's tightening up the law, I think, to protect women. And he's given women rights of divorce as well as men making what I think is a prudential strategic intervention in a first century debate. He seems motivated as much by concern for women's well-being and safety as by any ethical or spiritual rationale for what he says. And this gives us good reason, I think, to follow Jesus' teaching in spirit perhaps by assuring, for instance, that all parties in a divorce are treated fairly and justly so far as we're able. If not always following Jesus' words here to the letter and saying that divorce is always impermissible or spiritually impossible, which I don't think is true. And I don't think if Jesus were here today, he would say, The fact is, I believe divorce is often the wisest, most prudent, sometimes most urgent decision one can make. Hard, yes, but crucial. I believe this even though the principles that can lead one to that decision are very difficult to isolate and suss out, not to mention state. Very hard to put them into words. Ahead of this sermon, I went searching around the internet, always a dangerous thing, to review what other Christian traditions said about divorce. And I stumbled on the website of another church. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but you can ask me in the back. 
not a local church, okay? And I'll just say, it's not the usual suspects in the conversation on divorce. I wanted to see what a different perspective would say, one that I wasn't familiar with. And I'll just say that this website of this church gave a list of nine situations in which divorce is permissible or justified according to their denomination and tradition. Nine reasons. I'm not going to list them from this pulpit. Let me just say, I know of couples who have felt called to divorce in one of those nine situations. And I know couples who have felt called to remain married in one of those nine situations. And I know of both having pursued their decisions with beauty, justice, and holiness. Jesus says, it is by their fruit that you shall know them. And they and their decisions have borne good fruit. It's not that I object to this church saying divorce is justified in certain situations. It's not I object to the church making a definitive list of them. A list which flattens out the particularity and the complexity of the lives lived by real people. This couple's past, this couple's present, this couple's hopes for their future. And it ignores the difficult, painstaking, but unavoidable spiritual work of discerning what God is calling them to in their particular situation, in their circumstances, in their context. The problem with what I was told as a child, that divorce was one of the worst things that could happen to a kid, wasn't just that it assumed divorce was always wrong, although there's that. It was that it assumed to know the circumstances of every possible family situation ahead of time without actually knowing any of them. Maybe one. I suspect this person was talking about one particular family. And they said they were talking about everyone's. In some cases, including ones where abuse is involved, but not only ones where abuse is involved, divorce can come in part as a relief to children, even if they still have mixed feelings about it. And that's okay. In others, kids' understanding of their parents' difficulties can make them ready to accept their parents' decisions, even if they still feel loss and grief over it. And that's okay, too. Human beings are complicated creatures. And we're even more complicated when you put us in relationships. We're even more complicated when those relationships are familial. I don't know why. And we do no family justice when we make sweeping statements one way or the other, whether of the, I can't believe she divorced him, or the, I can't believe he didn't divorce her sort. And here's the thing, I don't think this just applies to divorce. I hazard that it applies to every form of serious moral decision making. There's a reason why Jesus says, as he does in Matthew chapter 7, judge not, lest ye be judged. It's not that Jesus is predicting some kind of a karmic cycle where what you give to the universe, you get back from the universe, right? And if you judge, you're going to get judged in return. He's not just trying to head off a judge fest at the past. 
is that universal judgments regarding what's right, about the application of the moral law, are very difficult, if not impossible, to come by with certainty. And when we judge another person, we do more than just sneer at or judge them or look down upon them. We are ascribing moral failure to them without knowing the fullness of their situation, without knowing its particulars, not just of their circumstances, but of what God has called them and commanded them to do in those circumstances, which is difficult enough when it's God's will for one's own life to discern, not to mention when you're trying to discern what God's will is for someone else's. Please don't misunderstand me for a moral relativist of the kind who would say, well, whatever's right for you is right for you, and whatever's right for me is right for me. A moral relativist of the sort that most undergraduates show up to my wife's classroom <laughs> with because they just don't want to fight, which says something about our culture that people are just desperate not to argue, but that's another sermon. I don't think that whatever's right for you is right for you, and whatever's right for me is right for me, and that's all that you can say, okay? I'm not a moral relativist. I am a moral realist. One who believes after theologians like Søren Kierkegaard and Dietrich Bonhoeffer that what makes something right to do is that God has commanded you to do it. That doing the right thing is being obedient to God. And I assume that the commands of God can and do vary in place and time and situation. God calls some of us to things that God does not call others to. As Bonhoeffer famously discerned that God had commanded him to participate, as so many of you know, in an assassination plot against Hitler, in contradiction of the fifth of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. This is not to say that anything goes, but that whatever goes, goes by the will of God. And there is no replacement for the difficult work which St. Paul says we pursue in fear and trembling of listening for the voice of the Lord. Listening for his voice in scripture, in prayer, and in one another. And this is why I, I understand this sermon on divorce might well be frustrating for some of you who are listening to it because I have refused to tell you when you should get divorced and when you shouldn't because I don't think I can. I think it is impossible for me to do so. Anglicans and Episcopalians have long hesitated to make such blanket moral prescriptions, not just about divorce, but about a very many other things. Preferring instead to entrust the business to people and pastors, people who actually know what's really going on, not people making a list for a website or passing legislation at an annual convention, or writing a book in their studies. Anglicans entrust these decisions to individuals and to communities of discernment. And that's what I can offer you today, instead of an answer that may very well flatten out your life and your love's complexities. If you're having trouble in your marriage, 
if you are contemplating getting a divorce, if you're trying to shake the shame that can come with either getting divorced or staying married, depending on the situation, if you're struggling with the fact that a very difficult divorce did take place in your family and it has hurt you, if you're a kid who's having a hard time or you're a kid who's having an okay time but still complicated, it's okay. It's all okay. I have no easy answer for you and how you feel. And I do not believe Jesus the Christ meant to give you an answer either. Not one of that kind. Not one I can just drop from the pulpit and say, yep, there it is. Do that always and forever. I can't offer you an answer, but I can offer you myself. As I know, Reverend Elizabeth and Father Peter do too. And I can offer you this community because I know for a fact that you all will offer yourselves to one another if asked. I can offer to pray with you, to sit with you, and to wait with you for God. And there is no substitute for doing that, even though we might want one. The truth is, we love you. And so does he. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www dot stmarksnewcanon.org